Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. Whenever anyone's asking me about how's the economy going, I'm going, well, it's pretty good for the fact we've got inflation, um, interest rates at basically zero, and we've got the biggest budget deficit yeah. of all kind. Take that away, and I'm not so sure how it's, it's going. So it's going well, pumped up full of steroids, but I don't think it really wants to go cold turkey quite yet. Hello, lovely people of Pods. Welcome to the show. You are with Catherine Murphy on Australian politics, and with me are two of my favourite people. One, two. One, two, three, four. It's Jericho, Murphy and Wright. Come on down to the stage. That's what we're doing right now. That is exactly what we're doing. I'm with Shane Wright, who is Economic Supremo at the Nine Facts uh, Papers. And Pop Culture Referencer. Also Greg Jericho uh, from The Guardian and uh, these days the Australian Institute as well. I reckon you'd be the lead guitarist. Yeah, I think so. I'm yeah. definitely not bass. No, I, I'd play bass. Yeah. Murph's, Murph's on the drum. She I think drives I'm the thing. No, I'm definitely. The ginger baker yeah, of I'm Jericho, Murphy and Wright. Like, temperamentally, I am definitely a drummer. <laughs> I'm not going to argue. Yeah. I'm not going to argue. Anyway, okay, so look, the, the three of us yeah. are going to talk about the economy. Cram from Spiderbait. A bit. Mm, great drummer. Mm. Um, anyway, to do something a little different at the top of this episode, uh, before we drill down into the various things, I'm going to uh, throw a, uh, indicators at my dear friends, and they're going to give me one or two word responses. One or two. <laughs> one or two. I'm glad no one is seeing the gesture that Shane Wright is currently oh, pushing in my direction. <laughs> anyway, focus, right. guys, focus. Okay. Here yes. we go. Yeah. Here we go. All right. Inflation. Inflation. Transitory. Up. Okay. Cost of living. Rising. Up. <laughs> word. <laughs> Wages. Not going up. Stagnant. Mm-hmm. Like a pool. Very mm. murky. But not a nice one. Stagnant. Maybe some mozzies. Yeah. yeah. A lot of mozzies, yeah. I would say. Frogs. Yeah. I like frogs. Unemployment. Okay. Unemployment. Falling. Exceedingly low. And good, new- good news. Good news. Good news. Good news. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And uh, what's my next one? Interest rates. They're coming up. Like, like a flower. flower. <laughs> Sorry. God. <laughs> Greg. Rising later. Rising later. Intriguing. Later. Intriguing. You're deep base there, aren't you? Later. Mm. 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 Interesting. Mm. Supply chains. I was going to say shagged, but let's say stuffed. You stole my words. I know. I'll go that's with shagged. <laughs> you go with shagged. Yeah. Utterly shagged. Oh. I'm, I'm using the two so words. You're going adverb too. Mm. Yeah. 
Okay. Good. Okay. Well, that has, with a few digressions, set us up nicely, I think, for a conversation about what's happening in the domestic economy. So let's drill down now into a bit of detail and try and share the sum of these parts, what is going on in the domestic economy at the moment. So um, why don't we start with interest rates? So how worried will the Reserve Bank at the moment be about getting the interest rate call right? Well, I, I was just saying to somebody, this is the bank that cut interest rates, announced three days after the last election. Oops, we've got interest rates wrong. We better start cutting them. So that's their, that's their immediate track record yes. in terms of interest rate settings. They're at point one, And they know that the longer you keep interest rates at such a silly low level, the greater the risk that people will do really silly things with such aforementioned cheap money. Yes. So you can see, like, remember, it was only four months ago, the net or five months ago, we won't be lifting rates until 2024. That was the key message. Now it's, oh, it's plausible we could be raising them this year. Financial markets have priced in a full percentage point by, by this full year, which... I think Reg had conceded if you whacked a full percentage point on the cash rate in the next uh, 10 months, there might be some major macroeconomic ramifications. Mm. Yes, mm. I suggest interest rates obviously will go up. They kind of have to go up because the Shane Sam point one is just not stupid long term. No. Um, but, you know, I don't think we're, we're not going to see a 1990 style sort of yeah. hiking of rates. The, um, this gets us to the politics of it because if you read John Howard, this, we go to John Howard's autobiography of his term. He, and I only had, I rechecked this just not long ago, he makes mention of the decision made in the tw 2007 election campaign to, by the RBA to lift interest rates, which mm -hmm. it did. Mm -hmm. And he said, we were under the understanding that there was an understanding <clears throat> that the bank would not make any major moves in and around an election campaign. And Glenn Stevens says, stuff this, <laughs> we have to make a call. We move forward to 2019 where Phil Lowe says all up, all leading up to the, uh, to the uh, May election that year saying, right, the economy, interest rates are going to go up. There's a bit of spare capacity. Everything's going fine. Morrison claims victory on the Saturday night, the Monday afternoon, there's Phil Lowe in Brisbane giving a speech saying, oh, well, well, everything I've said before, maybe not right. Next meeting, we're going to start cutting rates. Huge call, both hugely political calls. And mm. I don't know if people quite understand, even though the RBA is an independent authority, it does its decisions are heavily political. And in those mm. two instances, you can see either doing something or not or holding off a decision, like there was no reason why Phil Lowe didn't make the decision in April during an election campaign to say, we've got to cut rates because he already mm. had that data that he was going to make the decision upon. Yeah. So th this is why I think, no, there's no chance they'll move before the election. Yeah. It, it because it would just be... It seems unlikely. Yeah, it, because the politics of it and they're acutely aware of it. And remember, both... Labor and the and the government have committed to a, an independent review of the RBA, yes. whomever wins office. Yes. And so I think that issue is also floating in and around there because the RBA's got one job, which is get inflation between two and three. Hasn't done that. 
for, <laughs> uh, didn't do it for seven consecutive years, missed on wages, and then before COVID was having to it, it cut rates in half mm-hmm. inside four months. Like, mm. I de- dare I say it, the bank does make mistakes. Like, we all make mistakes. Mm. Mine has been musically related more than anything else. But in this case, the RBA's decision-making and, and is, is, has ramifications. Rem- rem- yes. Um, Fellow's term? 2023. Oh, it's next year. Yeah. So, um, like, there was this theory that he would go through his entire term without actually lifting interest rates. Yeah, which would be and, amazing. And we've got to this point today where the median house price in Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra is now over a million dollars. And there are more than a million people who've taken on a mortgage over the last decade who've never seen an interest rate rise. Yeah, well, this is the thing. When you talk about macroeconomic mm. implications, that's what you mean. Um Okay, so there's interest rates, and I think probably the answer, the the quick answer to the question was, yes, the bank will be worried about whether or not it moves at the correct time and has to keep a weather eye on the political cycle as well, right? So, okay, wages. Let's think about wages a bit more now. Will they ever increase? (laughs) <laughs> if anyone's listening. Lenore Taylor, take this, this is a yeah. plea for take help. This, take this as a plea. Your, take this as a plea. From your um, camera office. Guardian Australia. Rather than a, you know, an economic conversation, this is a public plea for a pay increase. No, no, I'm serious. Will, uh, will wages ever increase and how high can they go without triggering inflation, which we need to get to inflation in a minute because, Shane, I was going to say to you, Shane, actually, up the top, there's a reason why you and I never got out of the inflation mindset because <laughs> <laughs> it was always coming back. It was yeah. always coming exactly. back. Exactly. That's right. Anyway, but I digress. I'm, I, anyway, let's wages, Greg. Yep. Um, well, the Secretary of the Treasury, um, Stephen Kennedy, last week at Senate Estimates actually gave us a nice little um, – uh, definition of of how high wages can go before they start putting uh, pressure on inflation, and that's essentially and something that Philip Lowe has also talked about, and it's essentially inflation plus productivity. So the standard long term desire is you have inflation running at about two and a half percent, you have productivity growing about one percent, so you can have wages then going up at three and a half percent, and if they do that, then there's no impact on inflation because all the, that increase in wages is essentially coming from, one, the increase in prices and also the increase in you working better, smarter, yes, however you want to yeah. phrase it. Yeah. That's not happening at the moment. That hasn't happened for a very long time. In fact, you could say it really is it's something more... A lost um, decade in productivity. Yes, definitely. Been, yeah. Definitely there's been certainly a split, I'd say, since the GFC. Um, productivity has risen and, and real wages have not. Um, or certainly have not in anywhere near that that pace. Uh, the latest wages figures that came out, if you use the CPI, you had uh, inflation going up at 3.5% and wages just went up 2.3%. So in real terms, they went down 1.2%. Now, certainly inflation can be a bit erratic, but even if you use the RBA's underlying inflation measures, real wages went down. Um and that is certainly not something that a government uh, would be wishing when it's their last uh, wages data before the election. Mm. As I pointed out and today, yes, that um, yeah, you can if you look at over at say every three years, like an electoral term, this government has overseen a 0.8 percent fall in real wages. Mm. It's the first time any 
term of government this decade, uh, this century, it's gone backwards. Like yeah. John Howard, 04 to 07, they went up about 3.8. The Gillard slash Rudd, they went up 2.9. Mm. It was interesting, Josh Frydenberg, never short of uh, <laughs> pushing an opinion, <clears throat> took to social media yesterday saying, well, in Labor, the real wages fell for one quarter. Yes. And they fell by the same amount that they did this quarter. Yeah. And... But over mm. the over a full term, no, they they rose by about two point nine. It's because at the end of the day, real wages is ultimately like people say everything. Nothing's important except productivity. Mm. For most people, though, real wages yeah. is yeah. what matters. For no, them. Well, of course, because you pay the bills. But that goes to the number of the question, guys. Mm. Like, I mean, I wasn't being well, a smart Yeah, no, I mean, no, will they? Will well, will this? Will this? A, this? A, a few things. I th- I think uh, the problem is there's. And this is something I can remember Gareth Hutchins and I wrote about wage, the wage crisis. I'm pretty sure it was like 2017. So this is not a, a new thing. The, the problem is there is a lot of structural issues involved in terms of uh, bargaining um, and also government policies such as at the moment um, the public sector cap on wages growth public sector used to kind of be a driver of, of private sector wages because obviously there are trade-offs that you, you can get in the private sector that you don't get in the public sector. Public sector is more secure, but wages are generally lower. And so stronger wages growth in the public sector used to essentially guide it. Now, Scott Morrison has introduced sort of uh, recommendations or I'm not sure how, how it's directions. enforced directions, we'll call it, that uh, public sector or APS um, wages shouldn't grow faster than the private sector, mm-hmm. which is essentially it's even doing worse than it used to be in the past where it was a 2% cap because it's actually in, in effect enforcing um, lower wages. It's not just Morrison and his no, government. it's Because every state has every done state this. Every state has yeah. done it during the You can actually see in WA, like yeah. their public sector pay increases, you're measuring in the ones mm. and have been for three years now. And like that's been a government policy. Yeah. to re- just screw it all down. Rod Sims was at the press club this week and he also, there was a question put to him about wage growth and he actually said lack of competition mm. um, between big firms. Yes. Yep. So, and this is, and there was a question actually put to uh, Phil Lowe, a couple, of Senate est- a couple of estimates hearings ago about non-competition clauses in staff. Yeah. This, was, this is an issue across in the US in Silicon Valley where people can't, Move around. You can't poach people yes, yes. by offering them higher wages. Yes. So that you're into that structural, some of those structural issues. You're into the the demise of unions. As everywhere that has been recognised as an issue that affects wages. Phil Lowe's also mentioned immigration, which was very contentious late last year when he talks about, especially at the bottom end, if there's no international students and maybe international backpackers, and you heard the farming communities complain about that, and you go, well, the, f- the thing you do is have to offer higher wages, but that wasn't the first go-to mm. for them. It was, no. let's bring in more labour. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of, and in an environment of inflation, well, there's the segue, inflation, um, obviously then business, you get in this cycle where business will be saying, well, all our input costs are increasing, now's not the time, obviously, right, so it sort of it chases its own tail. Now, let's do inflation because it's important and we have, as long as we've been doing these chats, 
on the pod, we've been navigating the sort of post-inflation world, which mm. has always seemed a bit strange to me because of my advanced years. And Your advanced <laughs> Well, Well, you know what I'm saying? I think we could all say yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, but we've all, yes, we've all, but, yeah, we've I, all grappled with it, I can remember writing right? an, an article, I think, uh, where I sort of point out the first half of my life, inflation had never been below 4% or something stupid like that or mm. 3%. And for the second half of my life, it had rarely been above it. You know, yeah. it's, it's an astonishing change for the Gen Xs. And, yeah, and, it's, it's a um, lot for us Gen Xs is all I'm yeah. saying. But anyway, it's back, baby. It's back, <laughs> it's back in a – it is. Um, and, yet the temporary case being led by Team Jericho over there, you can see some of those arguments, say, around uh, particularly oil or gas. Yes. And we'll get to that get, in yeah. our international mm. space. Yes. we're going to go global in a tick, But But um, if we get unemployment as we're supposed, the idea is to get unemployment under four. Yes. Then you're starting to think, you do think there should be inflationary pressures there. My case against the team transitory is that one of the reasons we haven't seen inflation for the last 25 years is a little country called China. Yes. The China price has disappeared because it's now it's modernising. The way the, the Chinese economy is structured means that companies that shifted to China yes. for ultra-cheap production yep. outlets are now moving to, say, Vietnam or Bangladesh. They're not nearly as important drivers of economic growth as China is just because of the size of China. So mm. I think that step plus and bring in the huge amount of stimulus that's gone into the global economy over the last two years and which is going to hang around in terms of huge budget deficits even in this country for mm. the next five, ten, mm. low interest rates, they all contributing towards... Inflation maybe not out of control, mm. like uh, let's get a wheelbarrow to buy our loaf of bread size. Not Weimar Republic. Not Weimar Republic or even uh, Venezuela or Zimbabwe, but we're talking about getting at something back towards two and a half to three and a half. Like we've had this monetary policy circles has been this whole argument. Should we have, should we change our, our interest rate targets? The Federal Reserve now has an official policy, which it'll allow inflation to run a little bit higher mm. than its target because they need to catch up. They need a bit of inflation mm. catch up. Yes. So the economy works because ultimately reserve banks, their targeting of inflation has occurred over the last 30 years. Over the last 30 years, the housing sector in developed world countries has taken on a huge amount of debt. So inflation enabled you to eat into that we can't. We haven't been able to use inflation to eat in those huge debts. Yes, the last speech I read from the governor, and if if you're listening and you think who the hell is the governor, uh, obviously the governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia, he sort of basically said this is a massive paraphrase. So uh, that yes, inflation's back, she's back, baby. But in Australia, uh, it's different from America and other places because we've got no wages growth. So that's mm. a conundrum, isn't it? Like from yeah, the and it certainly is a lot less than America. I mean, Australia and American inflation generally does go in sync, and it, but in the last six months, America has zoomed ahead, and we really haven't yet. And and when I say sort of transit, transitory, I mean I don't think it is going to be above three and a half percent for very long. But I do think we'll be back in the two and a half to three percent, which, to be honest. It's a, it's a measure of how 
low and how weak demand has been for the past mm. decade, that that's considered kind of inflation being back. And that's actually, no, that's where we, that's, that's our entire economic be. policy is aiming for it to be there. We've missed the target for, a, well, seven, eight years. Yeah. Um, you know. Who, what, seven to what, eight years? Seven, eight years, <laughs> yeah. I mean. Um, has it been so, that long? But certainly the, the big question is how much of it is going to flow in over the shores um, because mm. certainly America and and whatever happens in, in Europe eventually arrives here. Yeah, globalised um, And certainly and where everyone is seeing it with oil prices at the moment, they're not definitely not going to go away. No. Um, oh, my and so, God. oh, my God, we've done another segue. We have. <sighs> See, we're so professional, I can sort of, you know, it's, without even, I just, well, This is to, how tight the band yeah, is. It's, it is. It's <laughs> quite <laughs> staggering. That is, that is our second recorded segue in a podcast, I think a record. <laughs> Anyway, as, let it get out. Yeah, as, so, so. as Greg has foreshadowed, yes, oil prices brings us to the global economy, right? Which is, uh, as we speak, uh, just to just to be clear with you guys, we are recording on Thursday. It's about the middle of the afternoon. The last news alert I saw was Anthony Blinken saying that uh, Russia could invade Ukraine. Within hours, yeah, for Ukraine, uh, Ukraine close their airspace. I yeah. think it's the last sort of, yeah, yeah. So, so we, yeah. we're just acknowledging that's a moving part. So just, uh, but just be gentle with us, yes. listeners. Just be gentle. <laughs> exactly. Um, obviously, we're in very, uh, very uncertain global environment. Oil prices and and petrol prices certainly is uh, the Australian consumers' uh, direct experience of that volatility. Yep. Mm. Yes. So what do we think about all that? Well, uh, wars themselves, though terrible for human life and uh, social cohesion, actually they do, they have financial impacts, but they're not recessionary impacts. Just think about, just think about that. When was the uh, Korean wool boom? Which war was it in? Hey, let me... <laughs> yeah. Conundrum. The Korean wool boom was started by the Korean War. Right. Um, Mm. Australia did not go into recession during the 1960s while we were pummeling money into Vietnam. Well, well, yeah. These are things. There's that that adage about wars being good for business. There's dislocation. Long term, Vietnam, certainly the US. It hurt them economically, but at a macro level, didn't cause a recession. No, and stagflation that precipitate came was more to do with oil, yes. again, and mm. high-priced oil. Yeah. But in this case, right, Russia, think of Russia as a great big service station with a lot of oil and a lot of gas. Mm. That's that's where Putin, that's what Putin's based himself upon. Yes. But there are other suppliers. Op- you can see, sorry, um, OPEC. OPEC, You can yeah. see them filling in uh, Europe's demand for oil. Yes. And we've coming... F- Yes, it's the European fighting season. We come into spring and summer, but that also means a reduction in demand for oil and for gas across Europe. Yes. So you can, depending on what, how long this continues, and you can see that OPEC can fill in that that gap. So yes, you'll have an upward pressure on global commodity prices. Yeah. But it's not enough to cripple the world. Like Australia is talking about, can we supply gas to? Mm. Yes. Which but is, I think I think Qatar is probably Qatar's the better probably. probably the better place. Well, be, yeah, because I mean we don't really have the infrastructure to do it, do we? I mean, obviously we can put gas on a tanker, right? And I can s- see you in the overalls right now and mm, send it over. But but you know Qatar is a bit closer, tad closer. Yeah. Yes, but so that like that's the energy side of the things, mm. and you've we know that Europe's already has moved a lot more down, say the uh, renewable energy yes. space as well. Yes, true. So 
absolutely terrible for Ukrainians and those Russian troops on the front line, but I'm I'm not as overly worried about the economic fallout but at, just, a, at a big macro level. Just on the OPEC point, though, chaps, right, because from what I have read, the sort of, um, you know, Saudis and other players were because obviously petrol prices, oil prices increased prior mm, to the current yeah. bad business mm-hmm. in on the Ukrainian border. I'll get it there, sorry. Um, and from what I had read, the sort of uh, analysts were saying, well, that's them profit-taking after the pandemic lowered mm-hmm. demand, right? But do we think that the Saudis are going to be the white knights here and just supply the world and everything will be okay? They might fill in the, the gap, but that doesn't, it's not like they're going to be flooding the market in the point where it's going. It mightn't be reducing prices. So in a, in a sense, they're just they're still profit taking. They've just got a market there that they perhaps uh, weren't able to fill in the past, and now they can just keep. It's not like they have to lower prices, or or because overall demand yes, is not I changing. I see what it's, you're yes, saying. Oh, yes, it's essentially yes, Russia. Yes, you know, yes. it's like you've. You've got um, one player exiting yeah, the market yeah, almost. Yeah, yes, yeah, you've yeah, still got okay. the same number. You know, there's still the same level of demand, um, but certainly there, there's whenever there is um, turbulence, shall we say, in in international areas that involve oil and gas, the price always does go up because mm. it's affected by market forces and also by. Um, expectations of future prices and, you know, no one's going to be thinking all prices will go down because there's a war (laughs) involving Russia. No, sure. Um, But but Shane's point is that it may not be as bad as No, I I don't think it – I I don't foresee sort of 1973 OPEC because that that was where they did shutter supply completely and there was no one really there to fill it because and now the US whereas is now a, the US is a, a net more, oil yeah. producer so, uh, yes. exporter. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There is, there is a lot more um and also our reliance, you know, we, we certainly don't have the big gas guzzlers like we used to in in the seventies. Um but Jericho and his pink Cadillac. Pink Cadillac can't you just <laughs> don't stop. Um, and stop by Springsteen's Cadillac Ranch. That's all I'm saying. Keep I'm going. about to. Keep I going, think we Greg, need to ditch a member of the the, the super group. The group. No, no, no. We're breaking up. <laughs> excuse up. me. Excuse Let's me. It's, no, no, no. It's it's far too early for um, Yoko to break up the band. I'm sorry. Yes, um, as you were. So I think the the thing actually to me with with oil is not so much the the economic issue, but how it's going to play out politically. Yes. Um, because if we do oh get God. that two dollar. It's the third segue. It's the third. It's the third segue of the show. Anyway, sorry. There's no way we can break up. Um, So, you know, we're hearing talk of $2 a litre, which is just kind of gasping to to even think about. Um, How does that play? You guys might be a bit better. Remember, Howard moved in 01, just over a dollar. Just over a dollar. Those were the days. Just a dollar a litre. It is weird that there has been this sort of, that it even though cost of living pressure has sort of been observable for people now for now several months, that that it it has lagged the normal political cycle a bit. I think part of it's because we've the journalistic community has still been focused so oh, heavily pandemic. on COVID, but yeah. the surveys, like we had a resolve poll this week, and cost of living yeah, is front right and centre. There, there was course. a poll out of Western yeah. Australia yeah. Uh, this week. F- cost of living is the people lining up, 
getting whacked by two dollars or even more. I, th- I heard we uh, Greg and I did Adelaide Radio yesterday, mm. and a, there was a caller saying, "Oh, it's two dollars thirteen." It went, I went, "Oh my lord!" God. But you can see, mm. like um, that sort of pain will because because ultimately a tank of petrol petrol is the biggest. Uh, purchased by every household in Australia mm. every mm. week. Mm. And if it's going up by that much, yeah. it doesn't take long. So how it moved mm. after two or three months, uh, three or four months, the whole debate over what was going on with the GST and its impact on and the, the lift in oil prices that, that was occurring then, froze index, indexation, which government ended it? Tony Abbott's government ended <laughs> yes, indexation yes, and Scott yeah. Morrison was there at the at the scene. That was Joe Hockey's infamous poor people don't drive cars. It was around that point, yeah. yeah. But uh, but it's hard to argue that uh, the decision was the right one because it was aiming, right, we've got to fix the budget somehow and, two, mm. it acts as a price signal. Like, remember when, we, when uh, governments believed in price signals? That was one of them. <laughs> Back in the Jurassic period. Yeah, Jurassic period. Mm-hmm. So, like, we've, we've seen the play... And uh, Morrison was asked about this, actually. Uh, he's been asked a couple of times mm. in the last few weeks. Yes. Um, no, there's nothing moving. What's interesting, because he, he knows cost of living's playing, in the last three and a half weeks at press conferences or speeches, he has mentioned the price of electricity falling by 8% yeah. 12 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he knows that. Yes. But beef's up 20%. Or more than twenty percent. Mm. Yes. Taking taking a hound to the vet is up ten percent. Yes. Childcare is up thirteen and a half percent. Yeah. Health insurance Petrol's up thirty four percent. Thirty four yeah. in a year. In it's a year. So though, like politicians and and Morrison's no fool. He knows that mm. Albanese. Labor's been campaigning in this space for more than a year now. Yeah. That cost of living is absolute. It's, in a, it's always in the fo- one or two issues of an election. Always, always. And and the point of the segue was uh, politics and the budget. This is where we're going to end our conversation today because uh, the the budget is, uh, what, three weeks Four away? Weeks. Four weeks away? Days. Yes. So obviously we have somewhat chaotically narrated a story which says <laughs> um, there are there are a lot of different pressures in the economy there are risks to the outlook i.e the global situation uh, now we get to the budget which is literally the last act of the current parliament mm-hmm. and then we will is, be yeah. off to the election so if you're Josh Frydenberg what are you doing with this budget do you think Trying to get re-elected. Well, it's fairly high on the list. You'd say, Scott, couldn't you have called an election before it? <laughs> it would have made it a lot easier. It's yeah, a real right. juggling act, I think, more than in the past because of cost of living and inflation. Those, you know, the the stand it it has a little bit of a smell of two thousand and seven with Kevin Rudd and this reckless spending must stop kind of thing because any any of that type of spending is going to obviously raise interest or raise the likelihood of interest rates going up. The last thing they're going to want to do is do some spending that actually forces the Reserve Bank's hand, which... Yeah, well, that's an interesting thought too. And spending in this Mm. space is tax cut. Yeah. And this is the debate that's been going on inside Mm. Treasury right now and there is a difference of opinion about giving, say, $8 billion to... 10 million people, like that's that's inflationary by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Yeah. 
Um, so they, they've wedged themselves into that issue. So that that's their problem, no one else's. If you're trying to come up with a policy policies that are not inflationary or can't be painted as inflationary, then you get into spending on, say, infrastructure. Yeah. And I'm still waiting for some of Josh Frydenberg's car parks to be built at, well, as we reported this the other day, now aiming at $220,000 a space. Oh, gosh. It's out of control that way. And this is the danger of coming mm. coming up with half-cocked infrastructure projects yeah, or of proposals yeah. in yeah. the run-up to an election, well, as AKA car parks in the 2019 election. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Or you can, there are the spaces, like you change the childcare subsidy. Mm. You could do that, and and you'd be arguing that's deflationary and it's it's productivity, productivity enhancing. enhancing. You yep. could build something around that. Like there's been a fair, there has been a fair discussion around tax mm. inside Treasury over the last six weeks, but you can't unless you're just cutting taxes for the hell of it, which has got its economic mm. downside. Mm. Then you don't want to do that on March 29 and then call an election, say April 4. Mm. And and I'm not even sure the economy really wants, needs an austerity no. budget or, you know. It, no, no, no. Um, so it's this case of, one, politically, and you don't do the austerity budget two months out from election. No. No. It's not good for the economy at the moment because it is, you know, whenever, and this is something I always sort of mention whenever anyone's asking me about how's the economy going, I'm going, well, it's pretty good for the fact we've got inflation, um, interest rates at basically zero and we've got the biggest budget deficit of all kind. <laughs> Take that away and I'm not so sure how it's it's going. So it's going well pumped up full of steroids, but um, I don't think it really wants to go cold turkey uh, it was quite int- yet. It was so. interesting. He, Morrison got asked about, he mentioned the budget while he was on, in Tasmania this week and talked about, oh, look, if you've got to keep control of your budget, you go, <laughs> you're running a, you've just had a $135 billion deficit and yes. you're looking at like this one might come in at 80, 85. Mm. They are... And after an, an 86 the year before, like the three largest deficits yeah. in history. Miles. Yeah. And you go, right, What what is budget, what's management? management mm. the, like, what does it mean? And yeah. Like it's interesting, that whole argument, how I'm looking forward to seeing how the government portrays that yeah. during an election campaign. Yeah. Because normally that budget management stuff. Well, it's sort of central. And if you go, like, if you're Jim Chalmers, you go, hold on. Yes. You've just run a $135 billion deficit. What what budget management? You guys have given up. No, I know. Well, Mm. I've had a couple of conversations on the show with Simon Birmingham Mm. in which we've been around this point. And, of course, their rebuttal is, well, of course, our spending is always better than Labor spending. (laughs) But, I mean, Except for car parks. Well, (laughs) exactly, except Mm. it isn't. So, you know, it's kind of, anyway, fascinating. No, I think that, like, for a junkie, political junkie like myself and an economic junkie and a Mm. budget junkie, like, I'm really rock and roll with the number of uh, addictions I have, um, that how you sell that message Mm. is really intriguing. Yes. It really is. Yeah, well, it's sort of like, because there's so many of the, you know, dreadful cliche but helpful one battlegrounds Mm. of you know, electoral politics in Australia that feel slightly off their axis at the moment. It is going to be genuinely fascinating. But sadly, that's all we've got time for. Thank you for listening to our chaos, musical references and occasional... Elvis is leaving the building. <laughs> and occasional... Elvis is leaving the building. ...digressions about the economy. Um, thank you to Shane and Greg, whom I love dearly, uh, as you guys know, and I know you love them too and these episodes, so we aim to do as many of them as we can. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who is... 
uh, the EP of this show. Thank you to you guys for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week. Love you all. Love you. Bye. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.